welcome to the Prod Pod, a podcast from Dental Products Report. I'm Kristen Holman, Associate Editor of DPR and host of the Prod Pod. Each episode, we feature leading voices in the dental industry and highlight topics of interest to dental professionals, including new products, clinical techniques, industry news and trends, as well as tips and tricks for procedures and practice management. On today's episode, I'm very excited to welcome Drs. Don Montano and Rob Relly, two colleagues and friends who will be cycling across the country to raise funds and awareness for Smile for a Lifetime, a scholarship program that provides orthodontic care to children and young adults who cannot afford treatment. Dr. Montano owns Montano Elevated Orthodontics in Bakersfield, California. He graduated with a Bachelor of Science from the University of California, Riverside, and completed his dental degree at UC San Francisco. He went on to the University of Washington, where he received his Master of Science in Dentistry and has been an orthodontic specialist since 1987. Dr. Relly is a board-certified oral and maxillofacial surgeon at the Los Angeles Center for Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery in Los Angeles, California. He graduated with a Bachelor of Science from Purdue University and continued his dental education at the Indiana University School of Dentistry. He completed his residency at Harbor UCLA Medical Center. The doctors joined me to share the story of how they became interested in cycling, how the idea of a cross-country trip was put in motion, and why the Smile for a Lifetime cause is one that they're both passionate about. Could you both start a little bit about your background, your experience, and where you practice? Well, I'm Rob Rally, and I'm an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. I'm presently practicing in Century City, California, and I've been in practice in the Los Angeles area for better part of 32, almost 33 years uh, this fall. Went to dental school in Indiana, Indiana University. Had only come out to California to take a residency at Harbor UCLA Medical Center and joined a practice, a large hospital-based practice here in Southern California very shortly after that. And I think that was about the time that I met Don. I was probably only in practice for just a couple of years when the two of us started working together. I'm Don Montano, and I grew up in San Bernardino and went graduated from UC Riverside, so I'm a Southern California kid, and I went to dental school at UC San Francisco, and did my orthodontic residency at the University of Washington, Seattle. When I graduated, I came back down to LA and moved to Santa Monica. I had a roommate who was from there and told me it was heaven on earth. Santa Monica was my hell. I didn't like it at all. LA is not my style, so I was looking for something else, and I got an opportunity to move to Bakersfield, California, which most people would thought I was crazy, but I moved up to Bakersfield and Went in with a practice and bought it out, and I've been here 32 years. Just like Rob said, I started working, uh, started seeing more and more adults and craniofacial patients, and started working with Rob and seeing his the quality of his work and his compassionate care. He became my number one choice for anybody who needed jaw surgeries. And uh, over time, we just became better and better colleagues, and then we became friends. So I don't know, just working together all these years, we just yeah, evolved into a good friendship. So your friendship goes back a number of years, it sounds like. I think I did some of my first cases. My, my first jaw surgery cases were with Rob, and I didn't know who he was. It just the guy that, he's just the guy that did the surgery, but I was always so impressed when he was touching a patient. I just made sure my patients always got to see Rob. I'm pretty sure that this is only a year or two I'm, I'm out in practice that 
Don was probably one of the first doctors that actually trusted me to operate on his patients. And it really wasn't very long after I started the practice. And it, it's a, a practice that had a very large geographic scope where uh, if a patient belonged to the insurance plan, then they would get routed down to our facility. And ultimately, there were just two docs at the time there. So it was me, either me or the other doc. And he had been there for quite a long time. And his backlog was very, very long. So, you know, I was the young guy that probably they told Don, can't get in to see this other guy for probably six months, but we've, we've got a new guy here who has appointments much sooner. So really credit Don for giving me the first boost into practice and the patients to work with. And it wasn't long after that, I think that I had decided, you know, uh, I'm just going to try to meet every doctor personally that I work with. And I drove up uh, to Don's office and we got together. And I think, you know, we really hit it off after that. And I would say out of the hundreds and hundreds of uh, docs that I've worked with over those, you know, over three decades, I've probably done more cases with Don than any other doctor. So we really kind of know our styles very well. And we've had a many, many, many patients that we've collaborated together on and some really amazing results. I don't know, Don, how many patients do you think we've treated in the past three decades? I don't know. Got to be 15, 1800, I'm assuming. I would think. Yeah, I would think so. Maybe more. So your book, Avid Cyclist, it sounds like. How long have you been cycling and how did you get started in that sport? So, you know, for me, I sort of grew up in a family that was into cycling. I grew up in northern Indiana, and my dad actually was a cyclist. I think he did it more for the social side of it. Some of his buddies at work were riders, and they belonged to a club. And in northern Indiana, it's pretty flat. You could stand on a stepladder and see the horizon in pretty much all directions. So the riding was pretty easy, and we used to go out with this club. And, you know, here I was probably 13 years old. My sisters rode my dad, and we would go for, you know, 15, 20-mile bike rides. We thought that was a pretty long ride. And, you know, there'd be a, a group of maybe 20, 30 riders. And then I really, you know, that was about as far as I took it. I went off to school, didn't really think much about it. And then, I don't know, it was probably about 12 or so years ago that a pal was uh, also into riding. And he said, I'm going to get a new bike. Do you like riding? You want to just get two? Maybe we can get a good deal. Sure, you know, I'll, uh, I'll get a bike. And I didn't really know anything about the modern bicycles and the weight and carbon fiber and all that business. So I just let him make, make the decision. I said, just get whatever you're getting. So we got into riding a little bit and little by little met more people. There's a lot of dentists in cycling and a few other pals who were dentists were riding and uh, kind of started increasing the miles little by little. And, you know, that was about it. For me, a big ride was maybe 30 miles. That was a really big day. And then I learned that Don had gotten into it. And so, you know, we, we really hadn't ridden together at all, not until fairly recently, actually. But then I started learning that Don was putting in some really big numbers, like, you know, in a day doing 100-mile rides. And, of course, now he's doing these double-century rides. Well, for me, cycling was just something we did as kids. You know, I've always had a bicycle. And when I was dating my wife, we used to run over to the Santa Barbara. always enjoyed it. But I never really thought of it as a sport. It was more just something we did for fun. And I had my bicycle. I wasn't riding much at all. In fact, I got so busy just working all the time. Quite honestly, my wife was just getting on my case saying, you will never slow down at work unless you get a hobby. Got to get a hobby. And my wife's really into horses. And I, I'll go riding with her. And I know she wanted me to really take it horseback riding more seriously and start competing on a horse with her because I could see the, the hints were coming hard. You know, horses are her passion. and 
it's not really mine. I'll get on a horse to talk to my wife, but otherwise I don't really need to do that. So one day I decided I'm going to get a bicycle and I went down and I saw they were quite expensive. It wasn't the $500 bikes I remembered. So I wasn't sure. Talked to a couple other orthodontists that were cycling buddies of mine. And they told me, you've got to get a carbon frame. You got to do this or you won't take it serious. So I said, all right. So I went back, got me a bike and I came home with it. And my wife looks at that thing and she says, what's that? I said, it's a bike. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to ride it. She gave me that look like, yeah, we're right. <laughs> I started pulling that thing out, started riding. Six months later, I, was, I did my first century ride. It was fun. I just I hooked up with more local people that pushed me to ride a lot more. And I, we have a big local cycling club, Happenstance, the group I attended to hang out with. They were just nice people. They were the 200 club. So that meant they do the 200 miler ride. So it didn't take them long to talk me into doing my first 200. And I think the first year of riding, I did five of them and just continued doing that since then. So it just became a passion. I didn't realize Rob was a cyclist. And then I told him what I was doing. And then next thing you know, he started riding more. Tell us a little bit about the Smile for a Lifetime and how you got involved and where that idea came from. Well, Smile for a Lifetime was, it came to me about a time from another colleague who's an orthodontist was at her house and she slid a brochure in front of me one day and said, what do you think of this thing? And I was reading it and I said, yeah, well, it sounds great. Uh, where's it, you know, what's going on? She goes, well, this other orthodontist is, has an idea. And anyways, I looked at it and I contacted him and said, I want to join this. I want to be a part of Smile for a Lifetime. And he said, well, it's just a concept. We haven't done any. I said, well, when you get this thing rolling, I want to be part of it. He said, by September, we, I should have it all ready to go. So in September, I contacted him again, and, and it was uh, Dr. Ben Burris. And he said, I haven't worked on it. I've been too busy. So I told him, why don't we do this together? We'll get this thing going by the end of the year. So we got the paperwork on all the paperwork and got everything filed. 501c3 charity and by end of 2008 we had everything filed and 2009 was our official paperwork launch so we got our 501c3 charity and that's when I started my first case February of 2009 so I've been involved with it from the beginning I think our chapters probably treated more patients than any other chapter but we have chapters all over the country now started out with just the two of us slowly but surely we've just kind of grown into many more chapters across the country and I think in most states now we have a chapter and we're trying to grow more at this point, and we're bringing in dentists. And I hooked up, we were doing more orthodontic cases. Rob's done cases for us pro bono. And of course, with Smile for a Lifetime, it's a nonprofit, but we connect with kids that need orthodontic care. Primarily, our focus is on the social side of it. Bullies pick on kids primarily because of crooked, disorderly teeth. And it's just a real big target for bullies. And so a lot of children really want to have braces, need braces and want a great smile to build their confidence. But unfortunately, many of them live in families that can't really afford that kind of care. So those are the cases we're really looking for. Kids that are in families or in situations, they deserve it. They're good kids. We call it a scholarship because we expect them to have a good grades. So we ask for at least the C average in their school, and we get a couple of recommendations from teachers or counselors, somebody that knows them well, like a coach. We select the kids, and we treat them pro bono. Now, because we're expanding, we require a lot more support for dentists and orthodontists and surgeons that are out there. So there is an admin fee to process the applications, but the orthodontists and all the dental care that's provided is done pro bono. At this point, I think we've provided since 2009, I think we're up about $45 million worth of orthodontics and dental care that's been provided by our colleagues. Why is this a cause that you're passionate about? Well, obviously, I'm an orthodontist, so I, I see these kids that come in, and I've been wanting to do something like that, and it hit me at a time when it was about my 20-year anniversary, and I had great success coming to Bakersfield. I didn't know a soul when I moved here, but 
you know, I eventually had a great practice and I'm really a big part of the community and I wanted to do something to get back. So it wasn't my idea, but I liked the idea. So I got behind it and I've been passionate about it ever since. When you offer braces to a kid that has crooked teeth and they want braces, they get really excited. When you offer it to a child who's already been told we can't afford it, they, they pretty much in their mind decide that, I'm not going to get it, so I'm okay with it. They have to be okay with it. But when they come in and they find out they get the scholarship, it's not just the child that's happy, but the family and the support group that's around them. They're so appreciative. And when you get the right kids, it's just an, it's an amazing experience. They're so appreciative. And our goal, of course, is to allow them to be successful and to appreciate and give back to their community as part of what they get, what they have to do to uh, receive the braces is to pay it forward. So we ask them to do charity work in the community. and those. Every chapter can kind of figure out their own, but we've hooked up with a number of charities locally. So if they don't have something in mind that they come up with, we can hook them up with an organization where they can donate their time to a charity. You know, it teaches charitable efforts and it's all good for the community. It's definitely profoundly beneficial to the kids that are coming from situations where they may feel like nobody cares about them. But once they get something like that, they want to give back. It really is a great thing that we get to do. And Dr. Relly, is that how you got involved with Smiles for a Lifetime was through Dr. Montano? Oh, yes. Uh, surely through Don. It's really a great thing. We've had a lot of opportunities doing what we do. We've been successful. And it really makes you feel good. It's a chance, like I said, I mean, that's a very common term, giving back, paying it forward. But really, it is. It's an opportunity for us to really change the life of a young person who, as Don said, you know, when they've got problems, smiles with the things that we end up treating, it goes beyond that because these are kids with really very visible disfigurements or problems that cause them to have a lot of problems with self-esteem and shyness, you know, cover their face when they talk. It's an opportunity to take care of these kids who otherwise wouldn't have had a chance. And it's amazing. After they finish this treatment, it really takes them out of a shell that really can change their personality and give them a real lift. Some of these kids have gone on where they were not doing well in school. They've gone on to start really, you know, immersing themselves in school, going off to college, even had a few patients who had had such a powerful impact upon their life that they went into healthcare. And some of them even years later called me and asked, can you write me a recommendation for dental school? So it's the type of treatment that had much more than just changing a smile. It really changed their entire life. Through Don, I was able to participate in the care of some of these patients. There's nothing more rewarding. Uh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no financial remuneration that could in any way come close to the satisfaction that you get from taking care of these kids. We have a pretty big trip planned this fall. How did that come about and whose idea was it to bike across the country? That was Rob's idea. I just wanted to ride a bike. <laughs> Don and I were talking about riding and all and I don't know, it was probably what do you think, Don, about two two almost three years ago now oh. that we first talked about it, but I was thinking I really want to do something really big. Not something just big, but really big. And riding across the country, that's a pretty big thing. So I thought to myself, I started looking into it, and I see where some people like to do it completely self-supported, where, you know, you see people on the road with all these luggage strapped down to their bike, kind of plodding along slowly. And I thought, well, I don't think that's something that I really want to do, but I want to make a nice long ride. So if I'm going to do this, I'm going to need more riders, you know, if we're going to do it. And I thought, you know, Don is just about as stubborn as I am to once we get doing this sort of thing that if we start it, we're going to finish it. So 
I called him up, right? I may have texted you, Don, and I said, Don, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna ride my bike across the from coast to coast in 2020. Why don't you do it with me, or would you like to do it with me? And I think that his response was, Well, that's a really big question. I'm gonna need some time to think about that, and I better ask Melinda about that to see if it's okay with her. So I figured, okay, yeah, maybe he'll talk about it and toss it around for a couple of weeks, a month or so, and then have a decision at some point if he really wants to do it. Well, it was about six o'clock that evening that his response was, I'm in. After that, we little by little started thinking about the logistics. And Don has two really close pals that he rides a lot with that he felt would also be a great part of this team. So the whole thing kind of snowballed from there. And really, honestly, Aside from my idea, really, Don began to carry it at that point and get a lot of logistics together. Well, my memory is a little different. I just remember Rob telling me that in 2020, I'm taking a sabbatical and I'm going to ride my bike across the country and you're going with me. That's the way I heard it. So I said, well, I need to run that by a higher up. So I, I had to talk to my wife. But the fact that we had two years to plan, my wife couldn't couldn't really say no, you don't too busy or whatever. It just was so far out. She's like, you're nuts, but okay, whatever. So I got back to him right away. I said, yes, sounds good. Then why don't we do it in 2019? He said, no, because we're both going to turn 60 in 2020. I was like, oh, so it's going to be an old guy's trip. So actually when Rob gives me too much credit because Rob's actually been organizing the RV that we're going to rent, the routes we're going to go. So Rob's actually taking the lead on all of that. I kind of suggested maybe we throw it behind a, a charity and we talked about it and he was pretty ready to say, yeah, why don't we go with Smile for a Lifetime? I said, well, let's, let's just do that. So we proceeded with that. You know, I'm the national president of, national, of Smile for a Lifetime at this point. So for the last five years, I've been at the helm and I, I have nothing more that I would rather do than put it behind Smile for a Lifetime. When are you leaving and how long will it take you? We're leaving September 12th. That's when we head out from Santa Monica Pier down Route 66. We're planning on somewhere between 8,500 miles a day. We'll take a day off a week. It gives us a little time to maybe see some things along the way, too. And we're hopefully going to be visiting with some orthodontists along the way. This is a recruiting effort if we can make it that. And, you know, maybe raising some awareness. So we'll, we'll probably be riding approximately, depending on the day, how many miles and how much elevation there is, somewhere between six and eight hours a day. I think it'll all depend upon the weather and the terrain. Uh, we've, we've looked at the charts, and there's some areas where we can probably pick up some good miles in a day, and then other areas where it gets very hilly, like the Ozark Mountains. Even though the, those aren't the Rockies, there's a lot of up and down there, and that's kind of the you know, that'll be the tough part of the ride in my mind. But hopefully, some of the towns that we'll go through because of promoting this and making people aware of it, we'll have some docs who are also riders who want to join up with us and take the ride with us. Or once we get to town, get together with groups and just have a lot of collegiality and friendship along the way. Where's your end point on the East Coast? The maps we have through the Adventure Cycling Association have a route. It's called the Trans America Bike Route. Join. We're going to take the Route 66 route, which is all published, and they have turn-by-turn instructions in Missouri. Then we're going to go ahead and connect with the Transamerica bike route. It takes us to Portsmouth, Virginia, and then just a little beyond there is Virginia Beach. So how have you been training and preparing for this trip, and how long? Well, I think independently, we've all been getting out to ride when we can. For me, mostly in the summer, things get really busy. 
because all the kids are on break and we do a lot of corrective jaw surgery in the summertime. So for me, it's trying to get out in the, later in the day after work or on, on the weekends and put some miles in. But as we've gotten closer and closer, I've gotten a lot more serious about it. And last week, I did a couple of 80, 90 mile rides just to simulate feeling what it'll feel like to ride 80, 90 miles in a day. I spoke with a doc who had done this ride a couple of times across the country. And what he said was, you don't need to train as if you're entering the Olympics. You just need to train enough so that you're not going to get an injury by suddenly going into big miles. The thing is, if you can stick with it for the first week or so, consider yourself trained. Personally, I've been just trying to increase my mileage. During the COVID breakdown, I thought I was going to have a lot of time to ride. I went and bought myself a trainer even because I could ride in the heat. But then I went and crashed my bicycle and had to have some surgery on my shoulder. So that put me off for a month. Since then, I've been back on it really, really hard here in the last two months. Is there a way anyone interested can kind of follow your progress on social media or online anywhere? We're going to end up posting it on Strava, and then Strava will share it back through Smile for a Lifetime, who will have it posted. We're going to be running, hopefully, a little bit of a blog post or something along the way, and kind of giving little updates most days. We'll give an update of what happened during the day. So it'll be short, but it kind of keep everybody in the loop. I know a lot of my team in my office and my patients all want to know what's going on, too. So I'm sure we'll just share that with anybody interested. And of course, we've got some sponsors that are going to be interested in wanting to keep up with us, too. So we're, we will definitely have all that available through some kind of a blog or I know definitely be on the website. There'll be some tracking feature. I'm not sure exactly what it'll be. What sponsors have you got on board? Our big sponsor right now is OrthoBank. They do financing for orthodontists for their patients. We have Henry Schein, McGill Hill, you know, John McGill, Dolphin Imaging, ProBiora Plus is on there. Of course, I'm going to sponsor and I have Rob too. I just want, I want to. So it's something I'm, I'm going to plan to do anyway. But we're still looking for more sponsors. Anybody wants to sponsor. And all the money that comes in doesn't go to the ride. Rob and I have decided we're, we're paying for the ride out of our pockets. So we were going to do the ride anyway. Everything we're doing with Smile for a Lifetime is to bring awareness to Smile for a Lifetime Foundation. And any of the money that's donated on behalf of the riders goes directly to the foundation. We're happy to accept large corporate sponsors. But of course, we're happy to sponsors by the mile. Whether you can set a limit, so any amount, anybody and everybody who wants to sponsor can put it in for whatever amount they would like. It's certainly all greatly appreciated. And the foundation is in need of the money. Our big fundraiser of the year is usually tied to an auction at a major convention. And of course, with COVID, those conventions were canceled this year. So we still had a fundraiser that was a virtual fundraiser. So while successful, not nearly as successful as we would have liked had we had a, a live convention meeting. Anybody wants to help, we're more than happy to accommodate in any way we can. And hopefully along the way, we'll get to solicit some others and bring some people on board. And also maybe get some new docs into the program who will be providers. That will really be the most important thing. Are there any other ways that the dental industry can kind of get involved in Smiles for a Lifetime or in your ride? Aside from sponsorship. There's kids all over the country that are in need of this. And we constantly have children that are contacting Smile for a Lifetime because they look it up. We're visible on the internet. So when they're looking for help, they find the program, but we don't have maybe an orthodontist or somebody signed up in that area. So that's where we're reaching out at this point. We're trying to expand our reach to contact orthodontists that might be willing to help out children in their community. And we find that most orthodontists are actually very willing to step in and help with the community. The difficult part is finding those children 
that normally wouldn't have come into your office, screening them and having the process to find the right kids that are out there because they're definitely out there. I found that to be the most difficult thing to do. And most of the chapters find that's the hardest thing. They're your busy office. Where are those kids that you would never have contacted because they would never come to your office? Smile for a Lifetime can help with that. Thank you so much to Drs. Montano and Raleigh for joining us. If you are interested in becoming a Smile for a Lifetime sponsor or provider, you can find a link to the SFAL website in the episode description where you will also be able to track their cross-country progress. This podcast is produced by the team at MJH Life Sciences and our theme music is by Hook Sounds Music. Stay connected with Dental Products Report at dentalproductsreport.com. Subscribe to our e-newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and we'll be back soon.